Hey guys, this is the Hard Time Strongman Podcast, and we're joined today by Trey at T-Bomb08, who is a Garner, right? Or is there a better, or is there a better uh, towel you would like? What works best for you? Because you do a little bit of everything. Yeah, you can make people really mad and call me a horticulturalist because I didn't actually go to a college for horticulture. Um, but I have a lot more experience than somebody that has a degree in it. So uh, that's that's the one I tend to, tend to like <laughs> that's to That's pretty use. awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And you know, like we were talking about uh, before we started recording, it's something that obviously everybody needs. And not a lot of people, not something that not a lot of people are uh, investing their time and their energy in. No, no, they're not. Um, it's, it's something that everybody used to do 100 years ago. And was uh, I read something recently, and I meant to write it down. Um, gardening used to be labeled as like the top hobby of Americans. It was like the number one thing people did with their free time. Um, but you know, urban sprawl and urbanization, as in mm. general, has led to a um, a loss of that art. And then also, again, the the glories of capitalism. We all have food everywhere around us. We have too much food. And so we don't have to we don't have to work hard for it anymore. So it's definitely kind of an art that's been lost, but is being rediscovered like many other things um, uh, because of the 2020 pandemic. All right, which is where you come in for us. You know, we're we're trying slowly but steady to get as many subject matter experts in as many different fields as we can, so that we can bring the very best uh, information available to. Uh, you know, tramp that better class of man in in every way, hopefully, you know, really take along a holistic view of things. So that being said, I kind of, you know, biffed your introduction. You want to go ahead and tell us who you are and what your background is, why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, totally. So my name is Trey Rosenbaum. I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, unlike the vast majority of people in this space on Instagram, I'm a real person with a real face and a real name that you can find um a lot of that is due to the fact that i now make my living running my own business called natural state land consulting um and it's a lot of fun i really enjoy it i, I got started in this when i was six years old um so well you know, i'm like two and a half decades into gardening um, and growing stuff and while I don't have a formal degree in it um, I do have a certification and extensive experience um, I've had a garden for gosh 26 27 years something like that um, so I've been experimenting and playing around and figuring out what works and now I get paid by other people to help them out with landscaping flowers you know starting a homestead uh, uh, a large garden. Hey, I want to do a food forest. I, I want to plant an orchard, so on and so forth. And that's kind of how I put food on the table now, but also still a hobby of mine. And so I've always had that kind of going on in the background. That's so exciting. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I'll throw this out here to you. So I grow in zone 8A. We'll talk about zones later. That's really important. Um, but I grow in a part of the world that is not represented on social media. Um, you don't see a lot of gardeners from the South on social media. And there is a reason for it. It is because every aspect of your life is a struggle. Um, the, the heat pushes out the week and then the cold also 
because what surprises a lot of people is we do get very cold. Um, and mm-hmm. so it makes growing things here a challenge. And that is kind of one of the areas that I'd really like to speak to and talk about is, hey, what's it like to grow in the South? Because the reality is a lot of the U.S., a lot of the guys in our community are growing in the Midwest or growing the Ohio River Valley, Tennessee River Valley, you know, this, the Midwest um you know, Southeast, et cetera. Those are heavy garden regions. Those are regions where there's a history um, and a culture of gardening. The problem is it's just been passed down from one person to another. Uh, A lot of people didn't think to actually write it down. Um, And a lot of the quote unquote, the term we all hate, social media influencers aren't really from that area. And the few that are um, don't walk around with an AR-15, a play carrier. Um, They're typically some... uh, some bubbly 20-something uh, girl that's got a farm. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people will kind of look down at that and go, ah, that person probably doesn't have a lot of value, but they do. So that's kind of uh, what I why I got really involved in this in this space and, and speaking to it because um, not a lot of people in it. Yeah, it's been cool, man, just because I, I get to do cool stuff with guns because it's always been a hobby of mine. Uh, my dad was um, a, a licensed gun dealer many years ago, and I mean, heck, he could have been unlicensed and still have been cool. I just wouldn't admit to that in public. <laughs> but, um, you know, because I like to hold and run around with an AR-15 and train with my buddies, um, that that automatically, like, gives me a new, a new target audience because I'm into gardening, too. Um, mm-hmm. Because as we know, because we're all into guns, we're all into the bushcraft stuff you know, the training, et cetera. Um, when there's a dude in your kind of sphere of influence that does something, you're automatically going to listen up because you, you kind of have like a level of respect already for that person. So definitely trying to kind of lean into that. Very cool. So when at one point when we were first talking about having you on, you were telling me that you had gotten some guys uh, – you know, through a class or, you know, through a course of instruction to where you were actually showing them, uh, you know, a garden that would, that the garden's yield would in the first harvest pay for itself. So what are, so, you know, not specifically that, but, um, for guys that aren't familiar with gardening, I mean, what kind, like, what are the possibilities here? Because not everyone has the same amount of space. Not everybody has a homestead or, you know, like a large yard where they can garden. But what are some realistic goals and some realistic uh, potential that guys can be can be looking at if they're able to, you know, put the time and the, and the effort in? No, definitely. So I'll start out kind of the whole garden talk with um, a bit of encouragement and kind of good news on the front end. So one of the ways that I try to show people the value in growing your own food is – Pick stuff that's expensive that you spend a lot of money on, but that you have a feeling grows well in your climate, and it's going to be somewhat easy and start with that. So I base a lot of uh, what I kind of start talking about in in, um, building on this concept around bell peppers. Um, My wife and I eat a ton of bell peppers. We put them in a recipe multiple times a week, and we also try to buy organic and um, there's nothing wrong with not buying organic, um, not into the whole, uh, food shaming thing. I think that's super lame. Um, you buy what's in your budget and I used to be poor. So there was a time where organic wasn't feasible, 
But now that I'm in a different stage of life, I definitely try to eat organic. And one of the best ways to guarantee that is grow my own food. So bell peppers has been that one thing that we, I know we eat a lot. It's easy to freeze. And in our climate where it's hot, they're easy to grow. So what I do is I buy a flat of bell peppers because of connections with local nurseries, et cetera, instead of growing them from seed. It's cheaper for me to buy bell peppers. So I buy a flat of 36 bell peppers for $9. I plant between 24 and 27. So this year I planted 27. And then the extra plants I give away to, to buddies, typically ones that I train with or whose wives are really into gardening, et cetera. So, cause I'm not big on waste. And then what I do is I have one bed that's devoted to those bell peppers and they start producing about middle of the summer and they keep producing for months on end. And I go out there and I harvest once a week. We'll eat fresh. We'll slice them and freeze them, so on and so forth. So I invested between fertilizer, water, and I don't include my time because this is my hobby. This is what I enjoy doing. So it's, it's not a time suck for me. Um, this, is, this is something that I want to spend my time doing. So between all the things that I have to spend, I spend about $15 on that raised bed of bell peppers. And every single year consistently, I pack away at least $400 worth of bell peppers. Um, that four hundred, wow. Which that $400 is about what it cost me to plant my entire garden. Um, between seeds, dirt, you know, having to buy sprinkle you know new sprinkler heads because i was an idiot and i ran one over with a mower etc you know all that kind of stuff that and then and then i also do a lot of things like flowers and some other just kind of fun stuff that's a little little side thing that i do um that one crop in that one four foot by eight foot by 12 inch deep flower bed or garden bed pays for my entire garden every year so all the tomatoes potatoes onions garlic green beans etc i grow are free and that is one of those things I, when I tell folks that, they're just like, what? You, there's no way. There's no way. And, but it's easy. It really, like, my bell peppers require zero care from me. I have a sprinkler on them. I fertilize them every 60 days, and that's it. So that's how I tell folks to get started is find that one crop that's a pain point in your budget that's easy to grow. Um, and for some people, you know, that might be wheat, okay? Well, sorry, you're not going to be able to do wheat in your backyard, which has been like a big thing lately. Been getting a lot of DMs on Instagram about this. Like, I'm going to grow wheat in my backyard. And I'm like, hey, it's a really bad idea. So that's that's really how I get it started. And then you, you have a lot of people that downplay their space as um, a, a way they can't grow stuff. And keep in mind here, we're not talking about subsistence living. Um, this is not a sustainment garden. This is a, um, this is kind of in addition to, um, this is a supplemental garden. So my goal is it out of my garden, I want to be able to supplement about a quarter of what I eat and I keep chickens as well. We'll get to that. That's a side topic. Um, but between my chickens and my garden, I want to subs, I want to be able to supplement about 25% of all of my food, which is bold um but let me tell you we we get pretty close to that every single year um that's it, amazing it's been amazing how little we go to the grocery store and it's uh late january so that's um that's been cool but a lot of people will say oh i need all this space 
I live on top of a hill that I had to terraform with machinery that I borrowed from a friend, and I really don't have that much growing space, yet I'm able to crank out a ton of stuff. And then when I lived with and took care of my grandmother or when I was in college, etc., I always had a few um, small buckets or little small garden bed where I grew stuff, even just to supplement. Here's the thing, even if anything else gets me out from in front of a screen, it gets me outside putting my hands in the dirt. Um, we all know, you know, it's kind of the joke, go touch grass, go put your hands in dirt, you know, be outside. There's yeah. value in that. There's a lot of value in that. And also you observe and you start noticing things you wouldn't know anywhere else. Um, we'll get to that later. We might not even get to a period, but growing a garden actually teaches you a ton about how your environment works when it comes to tactics too. It's, uh, it kind of weirds me out sometimes. So, but yeah, I mean, as far as getting started in small space, a few five gallon buckets, I used to use old, um, cardiovascular heart kits from my local heart hospital. They would throw out these big white containers, which are perfect. You want white, not black. Um, they throw out these big kits and my uncle would snag them out of the dumpster and they're totally sterile, and I would throw holes in the bottom of them, throw some dirt, and uh, line up a whole bunch of them. Looked like a trailer park, and I grew all kinds of veggies, and it was awesome, man. It absolutely rocked. So you can start with just a few pots, all the way up to hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this on a two or three acre scale. Um, it doesn't take a lot to get started. That's awesome. That's great. So yeah. how much land are you actually working with? So legally, I'm working with about a quarter of an acre, but okay. I have a lot of green belt around me. I'm on the HOA. I'm the president of our HOA, and I'm the president to Ron Swanson it because I hate the HOA. So <laughs> I am there and have installed all of my friends on it so that we can be the most ineffective HOA to exist, a.k.a. we do nothing. So I have a lot of HOA property around me that I have requisitioned from the weeds and have planted on as well. So, but roughly about a quarter, a quarter of an acre that I have stuff on that I'm using that's fallow or uh, sorry, that's, that's, um, that's growable. Um, but that said, you know, as far as square feet goes, gosh, you know, thousand square feet is, is probably the total of my growing space. So not okay. really not that much. Okay. So you're recommending when you first, so your recommendation when you first start, find something that is just a, like a, a hit to your budget. Something that you can easily start and then, you know, just watch and see how it grows from there. You know, just as like a, uh, as a, as a feel good kind of like a pick me up to start. Yes, and go all in. Um, go all in on that. So uh, if you're really good, this is hard for me because I want to grow all the things. Everything the seed catalog mm -hmm. has, I want to be growing it. Pick that one thing. Um, so example, I had a friend of mine <laughs> this last year. She loves green beans, and she planted up an ungodly amount of space with green beans. That's all she did, green beans and flowers. And you know what? At the end of her year, she was successful. She froze a ton of green beans. She canned a bunch of green beans, and they ate a bunch of green beans fresh. Were they sick of green beans? Yeah, but she got her money's worth. She spent like five bucks on all those seeds, 
and wow. her entire um, garden was successful because she focused in on only doing one thing. And I think everybody tries to do it all at once, and you don't have to. Just do a, do a little bit, pick one crop, and go from there. Okay. And then you're talking about uh, subsistence versus um, I, not like hobby uh, gardening, but yeah, supplemental. So will you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because that's what I'm really interested in, honestly. And I want to, you know, start small, then grow and grow. I'd want to see how much I can, you know, take away from my, my grocery bill and how much I can, you know, do at home on our own. So we've got a small garden that we're, um, that we're going to be getting started in, in spring that we're forming up right now. We have chickens. We want to get rabbits. Um, just every little thing that we can do to get us, like you said, outside more, um, you know, touching grass, actually working with animals and touching, touching into that, that way of life that we've, you know, neglected for so long. So will you talk to us a little bit more about that? Just the, you know, the supplemental type of gardening. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh man, where to start? It's, I think the best thing to look at is again, going back to pain points and budget, but also realizing, hey, um, start scale, scale things. Um, So the problem is everybody buys square foot gardening or they'll buy you know book on hugo culture aquaponics or whatever and this is one of the things that frustrates me a ton in this community is a lot of dudes a they go buy resources that are trash um but but the biggest b the biggest thing is they try to start with i'm gonna do it all um so i started gardening 26 27 years ago but i didn't start chickens till about five and a half six years ago um so that you see the big gap the big swing i didn't start doing potatoes regularly until about seven or eight years ago you know there's there's stuff that i grew when i was younger and in high school and college that i don't grow now because i found out they're not successful squash zucchini being two of them um or there's other things that i grow now because i've got some years under my belt and i figure out how to do it so the big thing is start easy. So start with a small amount of space, but enough that's going to be worth it. If you're growing one tomato plant in one pot, you're going to get discouraged um, because it's just not enough that's worth your time. Start on a scale that's going to be big enough where it's going to be worth your time. And so I tell for most people, and again, I'm making assumptions. If you're listening to this from L.A. or New York City, first off, God bless you. Um, move, please. Um, but you know, like politics there. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're not, you know, most of those places don't have backyards, but most of America, most of suburbia has a backyard. And I tell folks the best way to start is two, four by eight by 12 foot deep beds. That is going to really, you're going to see production out of those. You're going to see results. Um, and anything smaller is going to be, it, it's worthwhile but it's going to be discouraging because you're not going to get a lot out of it. So that's kind of my, my first tip. My first key to folks is, Hey, two, four by eights, start with that, work your way up and you'll start seeing results from that. And then pig crops are going to do well. So I actually visited a working farm in Alaska about, what was it? Six years ago, which is super cool. 
and very interesting just to see how you know they do everything up there because it's so radically different than Arkansas. Um, we call a three thousand foot tall mountain here tall, and there that is uh, that's kind of like their sea level. And <laughs> so, if I lived in Alaska, I'm going to have a hoop house, um, and I'm going to grow crops that do well there. I'm going to pick varieties that thrive in a cool summer. Um, in a dry summer, because a lot of cool climates are tend tend to be very dry during the summertime. So I'm going to grow lots of lettuces. I'm going to grow things like potatoes, cabbages, um, your brassicas, like you know kale, um, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, etc. All that kind of stuff is going to do well, and you're going to be successful with it. Or if you listen more like I do in Arkansas, where we can literally grow anything um, as long as you time it correctly. Uh, pay, start with the easy stuff. So for my zone, peppers tend to be really easy, especially hot peppers. A lot of people love hot peppers. Okra, um, any type of bean, cowpea, like pink, um, purple, and black-eyed peas, um, which I'm getting real southern right now. Um, but, you know, watermelons, stuff like that that's easy to grow. Um, blackberries, blueberries, you know, uh, the plethora is endless if you live kind of in that temperate Midwest Southern climate. So pick stuff you're going to be successful with um, and pick stuff that interests you. You know, what really gets me going every year in my garden is tomatoes. I love them. They taste awesome. I love to can them. Um, I love to eat them sliced. I actually have one tomato left in my fridge from my garden Um, and it is almost February and so I've gotten to the point now where I have tomatoes on my shelf eight months out of the year, which is really cool. And it's fun to, while that tomato doesn't taste like off the vine fresh, I can still go reach in my fridge and go, hey, it's taco night. I actually am making all this out of stuff I grew. So starting small, but scaling appropriately is what's key. And then the other thing I'll say, too, is a lot of people want a cheat code to how to start a garden, and there's not a cheat code when it comes to soil. Um, It doesn't have to look like everybody on Instagram. It doesn't have to look like all the YouTube channels. Everybody wants their garden to look pretty. And, you know, sorry, not trying to pick on, you know, all the middle-aged white girls, but that's that's who dominates the space, which, again, I have no problem. Several several of those really popular YouTubers are friends of mine because they're local to me. Um, I actually consult with them a lot, um, and they're really cool. And listen, they're really smart. Um, in my in this field, most people that dominate it are female, and so I've taken a lot of advice and definitely try to consult them on that. But one of the downsides is something that they talk about a lot on their channels is, hey, there's like this unrealistic desire to make everything look perfect, and it doesn't have to look perfect. Um, you can grab some scrap boards. You know, like I was saying, cardiovascular kits out of your local hospital's trash can, old buckets, um, old nursery containers. Um, I use rock that because it's a little rock. We have rocks everywhere. I use rock to form beds. Whatever you got on hand, but don't skimp on your soil. Get good compost. Really sift out your soil. Pull all the weeds out. Pull all the roots out. You know, pull out all the small rocks, etc. Um, spend your time there because that is going to really make up for a lot of um, potential mistakes down the road. Do you compost yourself? 
No, and I don't really recommend a lot of other people do it either. Um, it is very time-consuming. I don't really think mm-hmm. it's super worthwhile. Um, and when you have chickens, we'll go ahead real quick before we talk about compost. Let's go ahead and get chickens because I'm going to keep referring to them. Um, they have decided to finally stop being welfare queens, and they are laying eggs now um, because uh-huh. for, a, for a while they have been on um, the uh, feed me diet, but I'm not going to return anything. So, I love having chickens. Chickens eliminate my ability to compost because most of the things that I would compost get fed to them. Um, right. You know, right. some things go down the garbage disposal. Some things I do pile up on my property just because I want to have good soil on my property. And then there are other things that you don't compost. And that's the problem is composting is so... It is so nuanced. There's so many things that you do and you don't do with it. There's certain things you do compost. There's certain things you don't. If you do it wrong, you'll kill everything in your yard, which is super not fun. And it really sucks. So you really want to avoid, in my opinion, especially starting out composting, down the road, there's value in it. If I had rabbits or if I had horses and even my chickens, I do pile up all their poop. And let it sit for six to twelve months, and then I'll use that throughout the garden. But I'm local to so much great high quality compost that runs like forty bucks a truckload. I'm sorry, I just can't. I I can't make can't justify it. Yeah, it's yeah. too cheap. How many chickens do you have? Say it again. How many chickens do you have? So I'm at eleven right now. Um, Last year was the great chicken culling year. <laughs> um, I uh, we had had some disease issues for the first time ever, um, which were due to our very cold and wet winter. Um, and then we have a lot of predators, um, even in the city. We have coyotes and raccoons. Raccoons are actually my number one biggest chicken killer, um, and have been for the five and a half six years that I've had chickens. So. I uh, I had to replace my flock, which was honestly pretty exciting. I love baby chicks. It's just kind of a fun thing my wife and I do. She gets really into it too. Um, but I'm up to 11. Um, and while we're on chickens, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. I still have a lot to learn. Um, I just, again, am the only dude with an AR-15 that has chickens too. So people naturally ask me questions. Um, but get enough. A lot of people... Uh, I'm going to throw one of my buddies I train with actually under the bus. He got three chickens recently. And I told him this last summer, I was like, hey, man, three just isn't even worth the time. And so <laughs> two of them died. And he's down to one. And he ended up giving it to a friend of his. And he's like, well, I spent, you know, several hundred bucks on this chicken stuff. And I have no chickens. So I've never had less than, like, six is the minimum. I really like to run around 10 or 15. Um, but that's also because we go through a lot of eggs because my wife bakes in her free time. Um, we, uh, we like to give eggs to other people. So I give eggs to all my neighbors, um, which is a cool way to kind of get to know the neighborhood. And then my church has a food pantry and I'm super passionate about growing food to give to that. Um, because people in poverty, uh, also deserve dignity and there's a lot of people that come in that can't afford fresh veggies, fresh eggs, and the number one requested food item at any food pantry nationwide is eggs. So 
I, uh, I enjoy taking them to people I know kind of in my community that are having a hard time. So that's why I have so many is it's kind of, for me, it's just a, a fun way to uh, give back to others. That's really huge. That's really awesome. Man, I uh, I learned that from other you know strong men uh, podcast. Uh, I learned it from other strong men. Um, I got to watch. Mm-hmm. Had a, had an older guy that lived next door to as a kid. He was a big mentor of why I got into gardening, and he was very big on hey, if you're not generous with this, I'm so I don't hide it. Like I'm I'm a believer, and you know one of the things that he was really big on is he's like hey, man, if you're gonna if you're gonna proclaim to be a Christian, like you need to really live it. And he said the best way you can live it is giving to other people. Um, it really is going to fix a lot of your issues with pride and selfishness, et cetera. And he actually practices. He gave me part of his yard to grow in as a kid. Um, wow. Bought all of my plants, awesome. paid for the water. Um, and that was that was big in me getting into gardening. And so I've, I've really tried to kind of do a lot of that, give back, give of my excess, because I always have excess produce. Um, and man, it is, it is fun. It's a great way here. Again, we'll talk about this. A lot of guys are like, man, how do I meet other people? There is no easier way to meet other people than knocking on a neighbor's door and going, Hey, my wife's got some extra bread. She made, I got some fresh eggs, you know, some tomatoes and a few extra peppers, man, you interested? Of course they are. They're never going to forget that. Um, it's not about the monetary thing. It's about the fact like you grew it with your hands there's there's blood sweat equity in it um so i'm a big fan of that of like that's another reason why i have a lot of chickens is another reason i grow a big garden um i like to give generously and having a big garden allows me to do that while also providing for my family too that's awesome some of the most fun you'll ever have is give me something away and when we first got our when we first got our chickens we have four now uh we've had unintentional culling of our herds uh, our first herd we ever had, they got Merrick's disease. So I came home one day and all of them were paralyzed and I had to dispatch all my chickens. That was horrible. And then, uh, got my next flock and then my dogs got two of them. And so I beat them around the yard with the dead chickens and then tied around their neck and life went on. Um, and then my third flock, it actually mostly survived. I have four now which I'm hoping to expand. Uh, I'd like to get at least two chickens per head in my house. I'd be like, you know, between eight and 10, but I haven't had to buy eggs in months. And the first thing that we did, because it was around Christmas time, once we had our full flock and they were actually like producing, uh, was we went to all of our neighbors and we gave our neighbors eggs for Christmas. It was the, the most fun I've ever had. And it's just, it's so good to in the morning be like, oh man, you were at eggs and put on my muck boots to go outside and then come out with a basket of eggs and then just Hell yeah. have eggs for breakfast. It's, it's the best thing ever. I love it. No, it really is, man. And like the other thing too, and, and again, I'm all about sharing all the pauses because I feel like everybody always wants to share the negatives of doing all this kind of stuff. Like I, I'm a realist. I mean, having chickens is hard, um, but there's two big things I love about it that have been useful for me recently. First off, it's routine for me. So working for myself, um, I determine my schedule. Um, as any other human being, I am naturally inclined towards uh, my own laziness. And so having something that requires me to wake up every single morning and go out there and care for it is really good because I don't have kids yet. Um, I'm sure it'll change when I have kids too, but you know, that, that's something that's been very beneficial. But I think the other thing was 
um, when COVID hit in 2020, and then in 2021, we got a, a, um, a historic snowstorm. It was 12 days where our entire city was shut down. Um, it, un, unprecedented. It had not happened in, since 1920 for our area. Um, both times, the grocery stores ran out of eggs. And, and I'm talking about, like, you dropped a pin and searched for 20 miles around, and there wasn't a grocery store with eggs. And it was really fun you know, I'm sitting over here at the fridge with 10, 12 dozen, and I've got friends calling wow. me up going, hey, I've got no eggs, I've got six kids, I've got four kids, you know, whatever, you know, could I, could I have some eggs? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, you know, because I've got a four-wheel drive pickup truck, you know, so I'm pl- you know, plogging through the snow to to go make egg deliveries, and then when COVID first broke out, all the grocery stores ran out of stuff. Well, you know, not at um, Trace Chicken Coop. And so them, them dudes kept laying. And so it was cool to be able to go, hey, you know, the grocery store to have eggs, you know, but it, but I got you. Like, here's 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 a couple dozen, you know, that I'll get you to the next couple weeks until you can get some more. Um, that sounds minor. And if you told me 10 years ago that was going to be a reality, I would have been like, that's, a, that's some kind of, you know, prepper doom fantasy. Nah, man, it's not. It's the reality now. Um, the reality is the grocery store doesn't always have what you need. And one of the things they run out of more than anything else in my area is eggs. And keep in mind, I'm in Arkansas. We are a big poultry producing state. So we are the home of Tyson. Um, so if we're running out of stuff like that, you can imagine what it's like in other parts of the world or other parts of the U.S. Crazy. Hey everybody, this is 6 and 7 with the Hard Time Strongman Podcast, and we are coming to talk to you about our Patreon and Discord. Hey guys, our patrons get early access to all of our episodes. They get all of our exclusive pre and post shows, all of our spicy takes, all of our rabbit holes that we go on, everything that we want to include in the episode, but we can't because we need to stay on topic. And soon enough, we'll be offering digital downloads, guides, everything that we've been working on in the background will soon be available to our patrons. So make sure to check it out. And come hang out with us on Discord. Speaking of the spicy stuff, this is where we discuss most of it. Once you're there, you'll get access to all of our in-depth discussions, including stuff like homesteading, fieldcraft, medical, camping, communications, shooting. You like ARs? Come talk to us about it. You like 4x4 vehicles and prepping? Come talk to us about it. You like Tannerite, Thermite, Napalm? Come talk to us about all of the campfire talks that would get us kicked off of other platforms. It's right there in our Discord. Come join our community. We're active on Discord every day. We're interacting with members constantly. We have guys from every walks of life coming to contribute their expertise to all of these various fields and subjects that we've been talking about. Come join the watch Discord. Come join the Discord. Join our community. Build up that better class of man. Now back to the episode. All right. So... A little bit ago, you were talking about, uh, you know, picking something in the beginning where that's going to like, you know, be, you'll be able to like invest time in and your money in. So on that note, what are some good uh, plants that are foods rather that you can invest in to start out with that, that are going to be easy to grow? Yeah, great question, man, because that is uh, that is probably the number one question I get is like, hey, where, what do I start with? What's the what's the easiest 
So I always tell folks to start with stuff you can grow from a plant, a transplant that you can buy at the store. That's going to be expensive to start off. But again, it's all about kind of getting your wings, getting a little bit of confidence, figuring things out. So I'm always going to go with peppers. Peppers are consistently, man, they're just easy. Um, Tomatoes are another good one, in particular small tomatoes. So some type of like cherry or grape-style tomato. They uh, they grow like they're on crack, and they'll be 12 foot tall by the end of the season, um, and you'll be drowning in food. So those are always the two plants I tell folks to start with, and then I also say um, blueberries and blackberries, and for most people, unless you're in the deep south, raspberries as well. They are permanent plants that you can put in. They're called perennials, so they're going to be stuff that you can plop down in the soil, and they'll grow in relatively poor soil. Now, blueberries like things pretty acidic, but blackberries and raspberries, especially blackberries across much of the U.S., are native. And I know here they are everywhere, and I mean everywhere, and they suck. Um, and they're spiny, and they're a weed, and they're impossible to kill. And they're the reason why I'll never be fully organic because there is no organic option outside of just burning and salting the earth. So that is the kind of stuff you want growing in your yard because they're never going to die. You know, muscadines and grapes for people in certain regions are also great. Um, They're easy to grow. Muscadines? Yes. Oh, okay. So this is this is probably going to be a little more of a southern thing. So must I'm I'm the Yankee. Yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah, I'm just. I'm surprised you didn't know about that. <laughs> so muscadines are a, they look like a grape and they are scuppernog is typically going to be your most popular variety. And they are also weed here. They, in Arkansas, they grow native. Um, they are invasive. They are very hard to get. Um, I shouldn't say invasive. Nothing native is invasive, but they're invasive if they're growing where you don't want them. Um, but they produce this little uh, bare um, grape-like fruit that is hyper sweet. Um, so imagine eating a grape and then eating a spoonful of sugar with it. Um, and they make crap. they make jellies out of them, which are really good. And then wine. So most wine you buy in Arkansas um, is going to be some type of muscadine wine. Some people really like it. Some people really hate it. I'm sadly allergic to alcohol, so I really can't tell you the difference. But I know muscadine grape juice and muscadine jam I love. So those are some crops, man, that are just easy to get started with. They're going to be low maintenance. They're cheap. You know, most places you can buy blueberries, blackberries, muscadines, grapes, all that kind of stuff for about 10 or 15 bucks a pop. Um, And it's something that doesn't just require a ton of your time and require a ton of maintenance. I typically have to maintain those fruit what they're called fruit vines or fruit bush crops about once a year and like i said peppers and tomatoes are a great place to start with um actual transplants that you grow um i i will say from seed any cowpea any bean um or okra are going to be your easiest and honestly a lot of your greens like lettuce spinach are pretty easy um, especially if you eat them as microgreens when they're small. Um, stop trying. Here's another great topic. Stop trying to grow food that looks like what you what you get in the store. Um, almost all of your our food is grown in the Central Valley of California, which is a massive problem. But we won't go down that that rabbit hole. Um, but all of that food 
It's not genetically modified like a lot of people talk about, etc. It's just grown in an opportune environment. That is the opportune environment that a lot of food likes to grow in, Central Valley, California. It likes supplemental irrigation, um, dry, not a lot of humidity, not a lot of disease, not a lot of pests, um, and relatively good, healthy, well-balanced soil. Um, so stuff you grow at home is going to be smaller, maybe a little more deformed. Um, it's going to look different. If you've ever gotten um, like Misfits, which is a really popular company, it delivers um, damaged vegetables to your to your um, to your front door. Um, that's a good example of the kind of stuff that you're going to get from your garden. It's going to look a little funky, but that doesn't mean that it tastes bad. Yeah. Uh, are there any plants that uh, may do well with only like vertical space? Say for people who maybe live in an apartment or have very limited amount of space in their yard. Is there something that will grow better vertically than it would, say, sprawling out? Because I know like squashes tend to sprawl out a lot and take up a lot of room in gardens. So is there anything that grows vertically really well? Like tomato? Yeah. Like tomato or corn. So actually, okay, so corn um, corn is a crop I stopped growing years ago, and I recommend people just, just not even try. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those things like wheat. Um, gosh, what are some other good examples? Wheat. Soy, which we're all men, so we not we're not eating soy. Um, but you know, some people are super into the edamame or whatever. Um, things like that are so cheap on the open market; it's not beneficial to grow yourself. Um, the best way to grow vertical is to make your planter vertical. Um, so there's a company called Greenstock. They are all American made, um, small company, but they have gotten really big. And they have created one of the coolest ways I have seen to grow vegetables in a small space. You can grow up to 107 plants in a four square foot space. Um, and it is it is bonkers how they do it. But you can grow all kinds of different herbs and lettuces and different types of uh, tomatoes, pep again, peppers. So I, I created this guide um, that has all these compact varieties. So if you're growing in a small space, variety selection is huge. So you want to select things like micro tomatoes. You're going to select peppers that don't like hot. A lot of hot peppers actually don't get that big as far as plants go. Um, you're going to grow a lot of herbs, lettuces. There's even butternut squash plants that only get three foot long um, instead of the normal butterfoot squash, butternut squash that go like 20 foot. So you grow a lot of these, everybody gets scared when you use this term, organically, genetically modified plants. Um, they're, they're genetically selected for, hey, what is, we grow all these things in a field, what's the smallest variety? Okay, we're going to pull the seeds from that, and we're going to keep growing that, and that's how we get a better variety. Like eugenics kind of thing? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Like like a Like a type of plant eugenics. Um, and that's how you've gotten a lot of these really cool new varieties called hybrids now. Um, and I always like to emphasize that, is, that does not mean GMO. There are only about 8 to 10 GMO crops in the entire U.S. So when you see GM, non-GMO on a seed packet, it's a marketing ploy. Um, stop worrying about GMOs. Like It's, uh, it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. Um, and especially if you stay away from corn, wheat, soy, you pretty much will never have GMOs in your diet. That company that you were awesome. that you were talking about, is that the, yeah, is that the uh, 
the white PVC pipe where it has the offshoots at different angles? Because I've seen several ads and several reels referring to that. I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. He'll let let uh let six send it to you because they yeah put it in the chat. They are an awesome company. Watch their Instagram because they run sales all the time. Also, what I like about them is they sponsor a lot of small, um, like homestead Instagrammers and stuff like that. Um, the PVC thing you're referring to is much better for hydroponics. Um, so we do have a hydroponic farm here in Little Rock. I'm actually friends with a guy. He's very like-minded, um, like a lot of us, and he's doing some cool stuff with that. But that's that's a whole different realm that you really don't want to step into. It's pretty complicated. Okay, I just looked at the green stock. That's really neat. Yeah, I've seen something very similar to this at Lowe's actually today. Yes, so there's a knockoff company that sells at the big box stores and sells on Amazon, and they are complete trash. Um, they fade and crack and fall apart after about a year. So I I had several friends that bought them a couple of years ago to try them out, and uh, all of them ended up in the trash can. Good to know. Save some money there. No, totally. What would you what would you say about uh, potato? Because you said that you just recently started what like eight years ago, I think you said starting potato. So what's been your experience with that? Because I know a lot of people are really drawn to that just because of the uh, obviously the nutritional value they've seen. Uh, I'm sure reels on Instagram or YouTube or Pinterest, people cutting a potato in half that they got at the store and planting it, and you know starting their little potato crop. So what do you have to say about potato? Yeah, if I wanted to install uh, Chinese spyware on my phone, aka TikTok, I would go through and like debunk almost all of those gardening videos. But I'm not even <laughs> going to put that witchcraft on my phone um, because it is evil. But that said, the 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 TikTok trends of taking veggies and cutting them in half, etc., are big right now, um, and they are all completely false. So when it comes to potatoes, first off, side note: the most nutritious. Um, vegetable you can buy in the store for the cheapest price is always going to be an onion. Um, onions are incredibly, incredibly nutrient dense. Um, so that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind. Onions and, and potatoes grow well together. They're, 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 they're not companion crops per se, but they're pretty friendly in the sense that they need a similar soil type. So I typically grow them in close vicinity or together. Um, and both grow well. The key is for any type of root crop is good, loose soil. That's where a lot of people go wrong with potatoes. Um, so you, again, we're going back to the thing I was talking about earlier. Soil is so key. So if you don't have a really good foundation of good soil, um, it's going to be a struggle bus all the way through your, your attempt to garden. But potatoes are good. Uh, they're great crop, long-term storage crop, easy to grow. Just keep in mind, you got to grow varieties that are relevant to your area. So in Arkansas, um, a lot of like what are called French fingerlings, which are a small potato that are super nutty flavoring, flavored, um, really tasty. They grow well here. Or like a yellow potatoes, like Yukon Gold, um, which are kind of expensive in the store. Um, that's my favorite. I grow a lot of those. Whereas in Arkansas, we don't grow russets. If I lived in Idaho, Alaska, Minnesota, Michigan, you know, some of the kind of along the Canadian border, essentially, russets grow great up there um, because they have a cooler summer 
and the the soil makeup tends to just do better for russets. Whereas down here, they don't like our humidity. Um, but potatoes are a great crop. They're easy to grow. Um, everybody talks about how hard they are. They're not hard. Um, people just try to plant them in June, um, which like in our area in June, I mean, man, it's already 100 degrees. It's miserable. So it's all about the time of the year you plant them. And it's also about the variety as well. And you're going to hear me say it a lot. Variety is so, so key. Yeah, I feel your pain on being in the south and growing stuff because I am here in central Florida where our mm. soil is absolute garbage. Mm. And the humidity is 6,000% daily. So we have had serious issues doing a garden and keeping anything alive. And but vice skip on soil either. But vice versa, y'all had issues with it's one of the coldest winters you've had in decades, right? Which is killing right. you. Trying to a, go ahead. Yeah, we 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 lost a ton of plants out on the the patio because of the cold this year, and still are actually. I'm looking at a couple of them outside the window now that are just like I just went off myself. So here we are. No, you're exactly right. I mean, it's killing things like citrus, etc. I'm. I'm actually working with several guys in kind of the central South Florida region um, that I've that I've made contacts with kind of through this community or that I grew up with and have moved down there. And um, it's challenging. It's challenging because there are certain things that grow really well down there, but the biggest part's the soil. You have to you have to create or bring in all your own soil. You got a good climate. Um, the soil just sucks. And then it's tough when we have, I know everybody's so sick of hearing me say this, but I mean, the last few years, I know for us in Arkansas have been unprecedented weather-wise from extreme, you know, we had a stretch of just great weather there for years. And then, you know, cooler summers, you know, mild winters, it was like Florida, it was great. But the last few years we've had record-breaking cold, record-breaking heat, record-breaking rain, record-breaking drought. Um... And a lot, of get dis- a lot of people get discouraged by that. And it's one of those things like, hey, that's not going to be every year. Um, but you're going to have weather extremes. Growing stuff is not always going to be just, you know, walk in the park. So, Yeah, I hate that word unprecedented as well. But I've, I haven't lived here in Texas for too long. But, you know, 21, we also had that, you know, that freeze that came through. We, we lost power for four days, three degree weather outside. You know, I cracked the stones in my fireplace, keeping a fire going the whole time. We had a uh, drought and, you know, 100 degree plus for like months, plural. Just, you know, everything in our yard and garden died. You know, there was just nothing for it because, you know, we were in a drought. We were able to water two days out of the week. It was just, it was just miserable. And then we just had another freeze, knocked out a few more plants. And it's like me and my wife are trying to revamp everything. It's like, I, we'll try. <laughs> yeah, we, it's been challenging. Yeah, it's definitely because, you know, seven are kind of in the same same climate. And um, if you get a cold, we typically get it here in Arkansas. Um, we get it worse, <laughs> typically. And yeah, man, it's been it's been tough. It's easy to get demoralized, but it's just it's part of the process. Does anything grow in the Great White North? Yeah, and well, and I'd, I'd say to that, because again, that's something else I hear a lot of, is like, hey, stuff doesn't grow in my environment, stuff doesn't do well mm-hmm. here. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can grow. It's about variety selection. So tomatoes yeah. grow great up north if you select a northern variety tomato. 
And I, ex- okay. <laughs> I, exper- I actually experimented with this. So I grew a, a variety of tomato that was created in Michigan, um, which is so it can have really hot summers um, or really cold summers. They have a very mm-hmm. unique climate for where they are yeah. in the north. Because yeah, of, I grew a variety of tomato called 42-day tomato. It's supposed to produce in 42 days. It's made to grow in, in cooler weather. So in Arkansas, oh, in yeah. March and April, and even into May, especially the last few years, May has been very cool. And so I was like, this last year, I was like, man, screw it. I'm going to try them. I'm going to see how they do. So I grew them, got tomatoes late May, which was awesome. They shut off during the summer. They absolutely baked. They just struggled. But I kept them in. And then once it got cool in the fall, man, in October, when we had some pretty unprecedented cold for Arkansas, um, they went right back to producing. In fact, that's the few tomatoes that I have left sitting in my fridge are 42-day tomatoes. So there's ver- varieties awesome. like that that do grow up north um onions again carrots all of your your salad greens etc um it is about variety selection and it is about growing under plastic too you know that's that is what sucks that i hate in your area doesn't allow hoop houses greenhouses yeah yeah i mean it's again it's one of those things where you'd be surprised at what you can grow again thanks to all the genetic experiments that have been done Mm -hmm. with seeds you brought up a really good point that I want to touch on. Eating seasonally is really important. And I say this, like, hear me out. I, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. I love Mountain Dew Baja Blast. I love Taco Bell. Um, you know, I love fast food. It is my it is my downfall. Um, and used to, for, for lunch, I would eat, you know, a, I'd drink a Mountain Dew and eat a Reese's Cup. Let's um, so say I'm some kind of, you know, uh, paraha of what what is good health, um, but I definitely have changed my diet in the last few years and in, in attempting to eat healthier. But the big thing is I'm attempting to eat more seasonal. So, like great yeah. example, you know my my dinner today was sourdough discard pancakes and a brisket that one of my buddies had smoked for my cow I had slaughtered. You know, like that's. It saves you so much money when you eat seasonally because you're eating what's fresh and what tastes good. Mm-hmm. I say this all the time. Uh, people starting a diet January 1 is, is just just go ahead and say, hey, I want to fail. Instead, like in Arkansas, I tell folks, why don't you start your diet late May? Because if you're starting late May, then you've got in Arkansas, you got a solid five months of fresh farmer's markets food you know, ahead of you. And in Arkansas, with plastic, plastic culture, a.k.a. hoop houses, you can grow year-round. Now, our cold in December did kill most everything, even even in heated greenhouses. Um, but in Arkansas, I mean, year-round, I can eat most greens and carrots here, um, which is That's super awesome. cool. So awesome. it's one of those things where yeah. I'm trying to learn during the wintertime, I eat lots of root vegetables, I eat lots of mm. starches, bread meat that's kind of my diet whereas during the summer man i'll have i'll have meals where i don't have any meat because i've just got so many veggies from the garden um or i will um i'll be eating uh you know lots of salads or lots of you know fresh vegetable bakes same in the winter time you know uh, or same in the, the fall um, and then learning how to eat things that look different um, one of the things that we've integrated a lot into our diet is a butternut squash Butternut squash keeps on a shelf for 12 months, no refrigeration. And you want to talk about a survival food, and it's packed with nutrients. It's so good for you. Man, you roast it in the oven, and it's like eating little pieces of candy. Um, 
No, so it's stuff like that, man, that just trying to get people thinking outside the box of mm-hmm. you know, when we look back, we can look back 150 years ago to what our ancestors, you know, our families did, et cetera. And, you know, yeah, they all died at like 40 of AIDS or whatever, you know, <laughs> pick, pick, pick your disease. But there are some things that they did that was that were right. And one of the things they did was seasonal eating. They ate mm-hmm. what was in season. They ate what was what was local and native to their area. And there's nothing wrong with eating things. I love tropical fruit. Um, you know, but here's the thing. Learning when that kind of stuff's in season around the world benefits you. So a lot of people don't realize that that tropical fruit season is December to to February. Um, So if you go to the store right now and buy an orange, it's like half the price it is in the summer. And it is super, super sweet. Because oranges are falling off the trees everywhere. um, All across the Caribbean, South Texas, and Florida. Especially because of the cold. Um, But, you know, things like that, which are just kind of outside the box that a lot of people don't think about. It's a way to save on groceries. It's a way to supplement your diet. But also, it's a way to train train yourself and your body to eat what's around you, what's local, and what's affordable. Man, I – so I grow strawberries, blackberries, um, apple trees, and then blueberries – and I actually don't harvest them. I let the birds eat or the rabbits eat most of them. Um, that's kind of my doomsday. You know, like things go mm-hmm. really sideways. Yes, I'll eat them. Um, I am spoiled Arkansas. I can get um, any fruit you can name fresh. Um, you name a berry, awesome. I can get it fresh. You name something off of a tree. And I have all of that within a 45-minute drive of my house. Like, don't get me wrong, I absolutely am a hardcore carnivore meat eater, but I think that peaches are about to surpass steak as my favorite food. Because peaches are awesome. I just got them right here. And that's the thing. Yeah. People people grow based on what tastes good. And so they mm-hmm. grow based on what tastes good at the grocery store. And when you grow based on what tastes good in season, completely rocks your world. The number of people that don't like tomatoes or peaches is is high. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't eat those two things. I'd feel the same way if the grocery store is the only place I got things. So, but when you have a tree ripened pre- peach, a vine ripened tomato, man, it's like a dessert, um, and it makes you anticipate and long and look forward to not just growing your own stuff, but also all these other local farms. You start seeking them out. Because you're like, I can't have anything but a peach in June, July, September, or August, September, where they're fresh for me. You know, that's, that's I got to get them local. Like, I have to eat that. Because I only have this four-month period. It's a treat. It's something you look forward to. Um, that's the benefit and the advantage of, of eating seasonally. Like I said, I'm trying to practice it myself. It's hard. I still like to binge out on junk food. I mean... Uh, you can't see on the podcast, but uh, Chick Fil A is probably <laughs> my my biggest uh, my biggest downfall. All right, look, that's the Lord's chicken. Okay. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> and they and I had a free chicken sandwich on the app today. So, um, but you know, it's more blessed that chicken, chicken sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> I just wanted to say that your um, that your comment about it, the taste being different really hit for me because I've never in my life have liked tomatoes. I've hated tomatoes always. Hate the, it, the slimy sour mess. Hate it. We may we grew tomatoes in our 
you know, in our garden last year, you know, just these little, you know, sun-dyed tomatoes, and it was like candy. They were awesome. And it's like, where was this? Like, what's this about? <laughs> just completely, completely different taste. It's same thing for me with eggs. I actually never, I grew up, um, I grew up allergic to eggs. I grew up allergic to, like, everything. Um, you know, thanks, Mom and Dad, for stellar genetics. But, you know, <laughs> hey, here's the benefit. I will look young for, for the rest of my life because my parents are in their 50s and look unbelievably young. But that said, I hated eggs growing up. And I didn't start eating eggs until I started actually getting them from a friend of mine that had them locally. And then a few short months later, I started my own chickens. And, you know, I've never – we reached a point recently where we were going to have to buy eggs for the first time in five years. And I reached out to an uncle who raises chickens. He got us through a one-month drought until mine started laying and cause I told my wife, I was like, I'm not going to eat it from the store. Like when we go to a restaurant, et cetera, that's not me being a snob. Cause here's the thing. If I were to go over to somebody's house and I knew it'd be offensive to them, if I didn't eat their eggs, guess what? I'm chowing down on them. Um, mm-hmm. because I care more about being polite. But the reality is it, a lot of the, the white dyed eggs that we sell here in the U S which are crap, um, they, they taste bad. And not only that, there's no nutritional benefit in them. The nutritional benefit is just a fraction of cage-free, you know, brown eggs. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it, when you stop accepting cheap substitutes, then you start going, I have to grow my own food. I have to buy local. Uh, I was just going to say it's it's totally worth it. Um, it's totally mm-hmm. worth it, and it's cheap. And I just wanted to real quick before we, before we get off that topic – um, the, the Midianite communities and, um, you're exactly right. It's like the Huddites or something like that up there. So my, in my, not directly my area, but in the Northern part of Arkansas, we have a heavy Midianite community. Um, first off, Midianite are just unbelievably based as far as a people group goes. Um, I homeschooled, uh, I grew up a very weird alternative lifestyle and I spent a lot of time around Midianite and Amish and they don't believe in making a profit. Um, no, they don't. It's, it's considered <clears throat> sinful in their in their belief system, and so they're an they're a they're an incredible resource to get stuff from. They are so willing mm-hmm. to help you learn how to do anything. Um, but b if you have those communities around you, not just don't just look for ways to support them. Look for ways to protect them. Um, we're not going to go past that, but um, they are they're really good people and they're going to take care of you and you should look for ways to actively both support them and protect them because they are um they're continuing a lot of dying arts and they are a big source of a lot of gardening information out there and fortunately it's not on social media because they don't believe in using social media which again i respect they're better for it um but just kind of keep that in mind if you have that local to your area I have a, a local Mennonite uh, grocery store. I say local. They're in the northern part of our state. And I go in there with my uh, ex-Army uncle. And he uh, he's never going to listen to this because he doesn't believe in technology. So I can say this publicly. But he will actively like hit on all the girls in there. He is very coarse and crude. Um, and I, it sounds like I'm talking bad about him. He's, he's like OG homesteader. He and I are very close. He's somebody I love a lot. Um, but he's... A very abrasive personality taken to a, a grocery store full of Mennonite women. Um, man, they just always treat him with such grace every time he's in. Um, they 
they're they're really cool people. Um, I wish I had a, a, a strong community closer to me. There's not anymore mm. um, because they have a lot of things to uh, to teach us. Six, stay away. You leave them alone. You leave those men ice alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Trey, what do you have besides besides chickens? Do you have any other livestock? I do not, and I know we talked beforehand. You kind of wanted to uh, to chat with me about livestock, and so I have a I have a different kind of mindset on livestock. Um, a when I do move to more property, I would love to do uh, Jersey milking cows. They're kind of one of the easier milking cows. I, I've decided that there are two things that are heavy consumables in our household. Um, that are hard to live without, and that is dairy and eggs. Um, so I've got the eggs one covered. Dairy's a lot harder. Um, there's a reason that dairy farms are dying. Um, dairy is a it's one of the toughest livestock um, industries you can be in. Um, but I don't do livestock because I'm in a very heavy livestock state. So what I've worked on doing is I've built networks. So I've got a guy that I get my cattle from, and he slaughters cows for me. Obviously, I give him cash for that, but I also will go do work for him in exchange. He's also been a mentor of mine in my own life. Um, he is a uh, dude absolutely embodies uh, what it means to be a man. Um, I do excuse the fact he's from Illinois, um, <laughs> but that said, he is um, the guy is an absolute man. And so, you know, I've got, I've got him and a lot of other, I mean, gosh, five or six other close, uh, friends slash acquaintances that I can trade, barter or buy, um, cattle from chickens, um, uh, turkeys. And then there's a lot of local pork to me. So I'm actually doing a, um, a group buy with a, with a lady that I helped get into gardening, help her start gardening. I'm doing a group buy pork from her um so i have a lot of local pork and beef to me um i don't buy a ton of local chicken married bro like a lot of chicken that's typically what i eat when i go eat out um so i anyway beef are kind of my two big ones but having livestock's cool it's great i've got friends that do it all from goats to rabbits to chickens to cows to donkeys to horses to you know whatever you name it Uh, if it's an animal you can eat they grow it um, or raise it, but also I, I'm in Arkansas. I can walk my backyard and kill anything I want to eat. Um, right. we got we got deer, elk, tons and tons of fish. Um, gosh, what else? Turkeys, um, hogs, lots of wild hogs. So you know, meat is very easy for me to access here. So I probably never, outside of Jersey milk cows, will have livestock and, and chickens, obviously. Um, yeah. I'll never really make a foray into that. There's not really a purpose for me because again, it's such great access to all of it. But that, that network is absolutely invaluable. I mean, I just, um, I just helped a buddy today, a brother of mine, he was harvesting his Turkey and he asked me if I wanted to come by and go halves on him, you know, for, for some help. And so I spent three hours. <laughs> yeah. It's been like three hours helping me harvest that Turkey. And, I got a breast that was the size of a dinner plate. <laughs> That's awesome. Jesus. I was like, what in the world? Like, 
why did God make this? I just like, I just, turkeys don't make sense to me because I, yeah, and I just boom on the table and it's like the size of a dinner plate. I was like, my Lord, <laughs> but just absolutely awesome. And, you know, same as you, the, you know, my buddy can source anything. His network is huge. And just the guy himself is just a huge wealth of knowledge. He's a general contractor, but he knows everything. And it's just like, I love, I love, I love that. I want to emulate that. Because networks are huge, you can never do it on your own. Um, but one, you know, besides my wife, we want a homestead eventually. Eventually, soon, we're trying to get land in. You know, do the whole garden and animals and the whole bit. But I think my favorite, um, or my most, uh, the animal I'm most excited for is the myotonic goat or fainting goat. Yeah. Fango, it's it's for meat and honestly just for you know morale on the on the ranch i think <laughs> you know because i want to walk by something and have it pass out i think it's hilarious goats are fun man goats goats do well in arkansas i have a, a friend of mine um who 100 percent is going to listen to this so i'll be nice with what i say he um used to raise prize winning uh dairy goats would show them at our fairs all this kind of Dang. stuff ruthlessly ruthlessly mocked her when i was younger for it um because she's one of like 12 kids i don't even know everybody here has a big family um and it wasn't until i started traveling out of arkansas that i started getting the joke are you catholic because like first off there's not catholics in arkansas um but <laughs> but second of all i was like no i was like if you're baptist you have a big family um but regardless she uh she and all her siblings showed dairy goats and she has lo and behold not only back into showing goats she breeds them and she is gosh a uh, 15 minute drive from me and her and her, her husband are cool. good friends and it's so fun to go out there and watch what they're doing you know from they're kind of trying to create a new enclosure for them or they're trying to breed like right now they're trying to breed this this more rare version of this um this colored goat that's like a silver color um just all the cool stuff they're doing with that and then they got the garden and then his parents live next door to him they have chickens and just seeing like the little network that they've got going, and then I connect them with one of my beef guys, and so they're getting beef from them. It's really cool to see where I know, like, hey, if I ever do need goats, I can always reach out to them and be like, hey, you know, can I, you know, work for you, barter, or give you money, and you know, have a goat in exchange. So goats are fun. Awesome. They're easy. They hold up well to the Arkansas heat, and they eat poison ivy, which is a big plus around here. So no, Nomad's not going to have that up there in the uh, the Great White North. <laughs> it's, but it's uh it's the devil's weed, and once you get it, um, there is uh there is no escaping it. <laughs> yeah, though no, they're they're better than pigs because pigs won't eat trees. Goats will eat trees. <laughs> they will straight mow down like any any tree. It's you know under twenty foot tall. They will work their hardest to absolutely mow that tree down, and they will actually. I've seen goats like cut down trees by chewing through the uh, the trunks. Um, now again, it's like we're not talking big tree. We're talking like you know four to six inch diameter. Um, but they will mow down that that the, the trunk and push that tree over and just obliterate it, man. Just out of spite. 
What a spiteful animal. You know what I find hilarious, though, is I've never... So I saw on Instagram, because uh, I am part of this generation and I hate it, but um, I, I never knew that that chickens were omnivores, opportunistic omnivores. I had no idea. None. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I hit something. Ooh, this is a fun topic. Um, but my buddy, after, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, after we were done harvesting my buddy through the turkey carcass in with his chickens, and they immediately swarmed it. It was, they were like tiny velociraptors. It was crazy. No, they absolutely are. Like, if you have one die, if you have a chicken die, they'll actually all eat it. Um, which is, so I, I don't feed my chickens chicken, but I feed them. So great example, my friend that um, did the brisket for me, whatever fat that I don't feed to my dog, I'll take out in the morning and I'll take that to my chickens. Um, and they, I feed them all kinds of meat scraps, um, insects from the garden, um, especially when I get a big insect uh, population. Yeah, I can spray it with some kind of organic spray, but I actually go through and pick them because I love watching the chicken rip them apart. Because I don't know if that makes me like you know a sicko or whatever. Snails. I do that with snails. <laughs> oh yeah, it's super fun, you know. And so I uh, that is that is something that really pisses me off. That gets spread around, especially on Instagram is vegetarian chickens like why do you hate your chickens so much that's like me that's like feeding me no water uh they chickens have got to have protein in their diet now like my my chickens i try to get a lot of protein from their feed um which is just like waste animal fat um in those pellets that i feed them or i try to get it from things like pumpkins which are packed in protein fun fact um but yes, chickens are not supposed to eat a vegetarian diet, and as long as you're not feeding them chicken, and that is typically to prevent um, disease. Well, you getting a chainsaw, uh, man. I'm man, goats. There, there's a very small list of things that chickens can't have, um, and that's again why I don't compost. They eat everything. The most expensive thing with chickens is going to be the coop. Um, mm-hmm. It's same thing like with gardening. The most expensive thing is going to be the dirt, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of those things. It's my hobby, so I actually sold. <laughs> I was given a thirteen hundred dollar chicken coop that a uh, one of my customers just decided she didn't want to do chickens anymore. She lived in a four million dollar house and was like, "You know what? Uh, if you will come pick this out of my yard tomorrow, um, it is yours." And it had mm-hmm. been used a grand total like dinosaurs, of three weeks. And so my brother and I go over there. We pick it up. Um, it turns out my yard is not going to be correct for it. So I actually sold that to a buddy of mine at a great – I mean, I sold it to him for a third of what it was worth. Um, he got a great deal, and I got enough money to build my new chicken cube, like, you know, cash. So, you know, that's the most expensive part. But outside of that, man, chickens are cheap. Like I said, I mean, two twelve a dozen is what I spend on eggs when you, so you factor cheap. in water and feed and all that and again that's that's being pretty generous i probably spend a lot less than that that's just at the really high feed prices because feed is spending an all-time high i was gonna say just it the amount of time i have to actually buy feed is so so small for getting eggs every single day and like i didn't even buy a coop i had an old shed that i couldn't use because it completely you know ride out it was a metal frame but the floor completely ride out and so i 
you know, reaffixed a foundation. I cut out windows, put up my, uh, you know, my wire and everything, and I have a coop. And, you know, I could just throw in, you know, water, food. You know, I, I built, um, you know, I built their nesting boxes and roosts out of reclaimed wood that I already just had in my garage. And, you know, we were off to the races. We're going to put in uh, the, the rabbit hutches here soon and then we'll have you know meat rabbits but it's just reusing all this you know all your old stuff that you can to just make exponential exponentially more gain well it's same in the garden i mean that's Mm -hmm. there's so many ways that you can um from building your beds you know and again a lot of people what they ask is how can i get free cheap soil spend all your money on your soil but then you can use reclaimed wood um, you can use logs. Um, so if you've got a bunch of small trees, cut those down and use logs. Um, obviously for you guys in the South, I will say this make sure they're not black walnut. Um, but you can use rocks. You can use just a wide variety of different things that are easy to find and easy to access, um, that don't cost a lot of money and then vice versa for things blended in your soil. We've all got leaves around us, um, you know, pine needles to pine needles to a certain extent, chicken poop. Um, I know down in the uh, down in Florida, down there, y'all got all the waste from from um, oh, one of those dirt palm trees. Uh, palm trees just shed crap everywhere. Um, yep, you're just your options are endless. Um, this doesn't have, that's something I always try to emphasize. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just doesn't have to be. I do it more on the expensive end because I get everything at a contractor's rate and I do all the work myself. Um, and I've got a lot of really cool friends that our favorite way of hanging out is going and doing projects at each other's house. So like, you know, yeah, I get to do a lot of stuff that's cheap and easy, but for the most part, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. So there's kind of a commonly accepted rate of water that you're going to give every plant every day, and then after that, you're done. Um, so no matter if the plant – so a great example is tomato plants wilt during the summer. Um, you still really only want to be watering your tomato plant once a day, preferably once every other day if you can get away from it. Tomatoes pr- produce the best tomatoes when they're stressed. Um, but – they will as a natural defense during the day. So peppers, reason why a lot of people aren't successful with peppers is peppers naturally will in the in the summertime. That's a good and okay thing that they do. But the problem is what a lot of people uh, will panic is they see, oh my gosh, my peppers are wilted. I got to keep watering them and they drown them. Um, so just kind of following standard. And again, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, it's one of those things when you've gardened as long as I have, you just look at a plant and you go, I know how much water you need. Um, there's not really like a good scientific formula for it. There are some online you can look up, um, but the best is just a couple good, big impulse impact overhead sprinklers. Um, you know, you're going to read a lot about not overhead watering. Not overhead mm-hmm. watering is preferred if you got the time. Yep. Um, I'm 
watering such a large area that drip irrigation just isn't an option for me. Um, that said, I'm going to try to change that this year because I love putting together drip systems. Um, and that's another great way to avoid some of the watering issues too, is with drip. Um, so definitely look into like micro irrigation, drip irrigation. It's cheap, doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, it delivers water directly to where you're at. And if you live in a drought stricken area or an area where water is really expensive, especially like the Southwest, um, drip also, irrigation, yeah, uh, I'll put it this way. I'm glad there are places in Israel, which about is, that. they invented drip we've irrigation. Been plagued with they have apple orchards in the middle of the desert. Because of the Israel. humidity. Um, so where how do you tell when a plant actually needs out of the sand, more they water put in than good you've dirt, actually been giving they it? They stick in the apple tree. Like, and they have got real drip emitters running to each tree. And it delivers the exact amount of water that tree needs every day. And you have heavily laden apple trees in the middle of the desert. So drip irrigation allows you to do a lot of really cool stuff. And it cuts your water down, your usage down, by anywhere from 60 to 90%, depending on how you use it. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, I mean, yes and no. Um, a lot of people want to jump straight to disease, nutrient, pest issues, but they don't want to address the front end. It's kind of like it's kind of like the conversation we should have been having the last three years. You know, we've been we've been talking about like, um, you know, I I I need a I need a cure for this, or I'm looking for you know kind of the magic wand for you know whatever illness you have. When we should be looking at holistically the body. Um, what am I intaking? Like we know the body needs X amount of water every day, X amount of vitamin C, so on and so forth. Plants are the same way. When you keep plants on a routine schedule of I'm going to fertilize them, like I, I recommend folks fertilize vegetables every 45 to 60 days with an organic fertilizer. Don't use miracle Grow. Don't use chemical fertilizers. They actually suck. Um, they produce lower quality plants. Use something that's organic. It's cheaper to use organic fertilizers. They're a lot cheaper, um, and they're a lot more efficient. So use an organic fertilizer. Use it on a, on a regular 45 to 60-day um, feeding schedule. So typically in a growing season, spring, summer, fall, um, you should be fertilizing all your plants. I, I aim for three times. And so when you know you're doing that with organic fertilizers that aren't negatively affecting your soil, and then you have good soil that every single year, for me, in my, my zone, that's going to be February, I'm adding extra, um, what do you call it, uh, compost to it. Um, I know that I've created a good uh, bacteria, mycorrhizae environment in Dang. my garden. Well, that covers um, my so question I'm good about to go there, water, and then I'm fertilizing I mean, that's going to take care of most your nutrient um, deficiencies. So is, um, it should be I'm sure you've seen pretty it rare that you see a nutrient deficiency. But what about garden. nutrient problems? Like I know plants need nutrients just like we do. Is there a way to like be able to like look at a plant and know what it's actually lacking? Yeah. 
Yeah. So there are there's two competing thoughts right now on you know bacteria and kind of mycorrhizae in general. Um, there is one f- school of thought that thinks this is recent that thinks it's a total crock and that they're all um, it's not true. Then you have the other older school of thought, which I adhere to, is that mycorrhizae are the critical building block of your soil. Um, I, I still think they're really important, and I think having good soil bacteria is important. And again, I've seen it personally. Um, I did an experiment a few years ago where I took a tomato plant and I planted it in soil with poor fertilizer, no mycorrhizae, and then another one with mycorrhizae. The one with, with good soil bacteria, it was like yanking a tree out of the ground. Um, the roots were almost four times the size of the other one. It was really impressive. Um, that's crazy so i'm a big fan of that it makes a difference and i really believe in uh, having a good um, fungal environment in your soil Yeah, so Nomad, sorry, you're up there in the uh, um, socialist state of Canada, so you're not going to have access to this information, unfortunately. But in the states, every state has a cooperative extension. So yours is run by the state of Florida, six, seven, yours is run by Texas A&M. Uh, is that one of the best ways um, to actually your cooperative get extension is hands down because I've seen a lot the of those, absolute um, best like way bacteria packs that for you to, you to uh, collect in information on what grows in your zone over the years. and what is the best thing to grow. Um, I'm an absolutely massive fan of using your cooperative extension uh, website for information. They're real scientists. They're people that actually work in the field they don't have an agenda for the most part um and it's it is this is going to be one of the few times where i talk about how awesome a state resource is this is something you want to make sure your state is funding and you make sure that you are taking advantage of because your cooperative extension agents rock they put out some of the best info you can find and every single bit of it is completely free and they also offer classes in most areas that are free or like 10 bucks. They try to keep them really cheap. Um, and a lot of states even have a big conference every year where you have a lot of these extension people. Like in Arkansas, we have a two-day conference. It's 45 bucks, And um, I was drinking from a fire hose when I went um, a couple years ago. It was, it was really incredible to go to. This is wild. The uh, largest lettuce grower in the state is actually the state of Florida, or in the U.S. is the state of Florida. Um, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of state comes from a lot of lettuce comes from Northern Florida. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's so all about distribution uh, networks, too. man. And we uh, learn I know a lot of people didn't know how distribution networks worked until COVID is there actually like a garden and when COVID hit, it was like, Oh my uh, gosh. Okay. So, so this is how, this I is how things that, are. At least here in town, um, like, this I is how things work. Okay, this makes a lot like more sense because, specific you know, we had people here locally, bush. like we're a big tomato so is there state, like we grow that a lot of tomatoes. We had tomatoes like just rotten. Um, vice versa, Idaho had potatoes rotten in the fields because that distribution network got messed up and we're so used to all that goes to 
one place. And now yeah. it's uh, it's all over the place. So, yeah, you learn real quick, oh, hey, this entire system is broken and getting food locally is option. And, again, I'm not a basher of I'm, – I'm not a detractor from global trade. I think it is incredible that I can get 67-cent avocados from Mexico right now. Um, it absolutely <laughs> rocks. Um, that said, like – that kind of network is not sustainable. And that's why local food matters so much. Well, I think a lot of that too is also just preserving, like knowing how to preserve stuff because people don't realize that we've, because frozen meals and, you know, canned Chef Boyardee, which are bad for you, because those are bad for you. And that means that canned green beans and frozen onions are bad for you. And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Um, If you're buying local, like this is what I do. Great example. I think I shared this on my Instagram recently. Um, Our local grocery store ran a ton of like really high-end expensive sweet onions, um, like 90% off. Um, they're normally about, about a dollar a piece and they ran them for like, this is about 80% off, like 20 cents a piece. And <laughs> my wife and I bought as much as we could get yeah. and we froze them. We chopped them and froze them all. And so now we yeah, have smart. onions for three months for Goodness. $6, for $6. Um, that's, whereas we spend probably four or $5 a week on onions. So you know, it's just it's small things like that. And onions here in Arkansas, they're in season. Like in a lot of the states, they're in season. Um, because certain areas of the US, especially for me, like what I'm close to onion producer wise is Texas and Georgia. So both those mm-hmm. states recently harvested a lot of onions back in would have been like November. And so those things are fresh over the winter time. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where I, uh, I'm a big believer in, yes, obviously eating seasonally, but then taking all that seasonal stuff and, and freezing. At the end of the day, what's worse than anything else is starving to death. Like, I just, you know, that's, that's, that conversation gets like, and again, when you work with people, when you work at a food pantry, when you work it with people that don't have anything, you, 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 you gain understanding of this. I'm so glad mm-hmm. my parents like pushed me into a position of life where I got to be around people that didn't have food. And it's it's why I'm so passionate about helping people start gardens and, and teaching people how to grow things and teaching people about local food networks too is because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really there's this great article I was written a few years ago. I think it was Wall Street Journal. And it was why the McDonald's McDouble has ended um, food insecurity as we know it. It was it infuriated people. I've never seen an uproar on the internet like this. It was like you're poisoning people, you're killing them, so on and so forth. And I'm like, you know what? It, it, that article actually came out of time that I was pretty broke. Like I didn't have a lot of money at all. And in my family, there's a lot of us kids. There's no mom and dad rescuing us. You know, if you don't have money, you don't yeah. have money. You go work. And what I ate a lot of McDoubles. I ate a lot of dollar menu. And it, it was sustenance, man. It kept me going. And, and again, I'm all about encouraging people to eat healthy, eat local. Because um, I, th- I believe it's the right thing to do. And I believe it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, food is food. And like, you got to eat. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people think that going to somewhere like Walmart is a lot cheaper. When the reality is going down to my local farmer and buying a few boxes full of food and then just freezing them and eating them throughout the year is significant. I mean, we're talking about for me, the the savings are never less than 50%. Sometimes they're 75, 80, 90% over what I'm paying in the store of just going to local farmer, 
blocking off two or three hours on a Saturday or one evening and wife and I chopping stuff up and freezing it or, or canning it. I enjoy canning too. That's what I was going to ask you about canning if you canned yourself. So that's good to hear. Yes. So I do can myself. Um, part of that is because my grandfather owns one of the largest canning jar factories in the United States. Um, oh. I'm, I'm born and raised here. So it's, uh, it's just kind of comes to the territory. It, it's something I'm proud of, man. Like my, yeah. my grandfather built, awesome. it, built it from the ground up. Um, it's, it's a product that's made here in the U S um, there's uh, a lot of very big names that you go to the store and you buy their product and it is made here in Arkansas. Um, not only does it support my friends and neighbors jobs, I think, the thing that I'm most excited about is they hire um, ex-convicts um, and ex-addicts and uh, dudes have had a rough lifestyle. Um, they're one of the few employers in the state that will hire people with a record. And there are a lot of guys running around. I actually had some guys come up in my last job a few years ago. And they go, you know, yeah, we we work with this organization, so on and so forth. And I was like, yeah, my, my grandfather owns it, et cetera. And they go, your grandpa's <laughs> the only person to give me a job eight years ago when I got over my, you know, drug addiction. And he's the reason I'm not a drug addict now. And I'm like, oh, that's just the coolest. That's awesome. So That's awesome. That's a huge testimony. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's, it's killer. It's killer. So it's, it's fun. Um, I get to, uh, I get to enjoy a lot of canning because, um, it is a very low input cost as far as having to get jars. It just, I, I get them at cost. So that's something that's fun. Um, it's, it's a world I'm getting back into. I lived with and took care of my grandmother for years. And kind of part of that exchange was I took care of all the things that, um, a, a guy would normally take care of and she did all the cooking. And so I ate like a king and I never had to can cause she did it all. And I really regret not spending more time learning it. So I'm kind of having to relearn it, which is, ugh, it's been the worst. Um, but I, uh, it, it's, it's a cool skill to have. I, I'm glad that it's catching back on and that it's something that's cool, for lack of a better term now, um, because there's a lot of value in being able to preserve food at your house. And glass jars never wear out. Um, they last, they will last for decades upon decades. All you got to do is buy the lids. Um, so again, another cool way to preserve stuff. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, so I got to play around recently. I I still think freezing is the best way out there. It's what's easy and accessible for a lot of people. Canning water bath and then pressure canning is right behind it. But I got to play with a freeze dryer recently. Um, so shout out one of those. I've got one. They're awesome. I'm so envious. They're amazing. They're, they're awesome. Ex- they're expensive. Um, I'm working with several friends to uh, pool funds, and we're going to try to go in on on one together. It's going to be about three thousand um, dollars. But I freeze dry some stuff recently. A friend friend of mine's house. They own a local. Um, they own a local uh, homestead. They're actually really big Instagram influencers. I know we all hate that word, but I'm glad that they're on the space because they're a positive force for good. But he, um, the husband, was like, hey, man, you come check this thing out. I was blown away. I mean, it is uh, – having a freeze dryer is a complete and utter game changer when it comes awesome. to – I mean, you're creating yeah. your own 20-year shelf-stable food at your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like cheating. It is cheating. Wow. It is cheating. And the food that comes out of it 
is really tasty. Well, that's why I'm trying to go in with some buddies um, that are local. They're kind of like-minded and that kind of stuff. You know, we're all gardening mm-hmm. together. We're all growing stuff. And we've all got connections with local um, places to get veggies and fruit. And so we're all talking about, you know, kind of, hey, everybody goes in, you know, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, 1000 bucks, you know, whatever you can afford. And then we'll store a central location, probably my house, because that's how everything <laughs> ends up. And we... Um, you know, you come over, you stick stuff in it, you come back 24 hours later and it's ready to go. That's um, magic, man. It's just, it's, it's a really cool way to preserve. And it's something that nobody knows about. Um, you know, everybody wants to buy their 12th Glock and their 16th AR. And I'm like, or you can make your own mountain house meals at your house. Um, cause I don't backpack a ton. I don't hike a ton. Yep. Um, unfortunately I just, it's not something I make time for. I do a lot of day hikes, but I've got a lot of buddies are into that. I mean, that's a big thing here in Arkansas and man, just watching what they spend on mountain house, they're going through freaking 30 and $40 worth of freeze dried meals a weekend. Um, that adds up real mm. fast when you get your own freeze dryer, especially when you go in with other people to buy it. Yeah, no, it is. And it's just looking into looking into those food preservation things and those food pre- preservation options are just killer because it's 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 a force multiplier. Um, you start being able to preserve more food. And again, it's it, ev- like everything. It's like like tools for a garden, like dirt for your garden, like your chicken coop. All this stuff's an investment. Um, but I love... Uh, he'll stay anonymous. I don't think wants wants me throwing his name out there, but there's a there's a trainer here locally that threw out a really good term. He said we buy all these different insurances for a lot of things that in reality are never going to happen to us, but we don't insure ourselves against the one thing that we know for sure is going to happen, and that is that is natural wow. disasters. Um, and that natural disaster can be man made. Um, it can be an armed conflict. It can be like here in Arkansas, we have legitimate natural disasters on what feels like a monthly basis um <laughs> it happens all the time and hey you can laugh all you want to mr florida you are just as yeah, bad I was gonna say florida florida's just as bad hey. yeah he gets it <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things where it's like hey spend a little bit of money buy yourself a little bit of insurance and then when something bad happens it, you're ready and, and again, I'm not going to go through all the stories, but I've just got so many stories of because I own this one thing or because I bought this amazing. You know, $100 piece of insurance is how I'm choosing to see it. It saved me thousands of dollars or it saved me from being in a really bad situation or even better, oh, something that a lot of people don't think about is it allowed me to help somebody else. Um, because when you have the ability to help other people, you're seen as a leader um, you're seen as somebody that's influential and worthwhile to listen to. Um, and the reality is I would much rather people listen to me than some crazy person on the internet. Um, if trees are blowing around in my neighborhood, if the power's out, et cetera. Great example, when the power did go out a few weeks ago in my neighborhood, um, all the neighbors came to me and were like, hey, man, we know you got a generator. You know, can, can, we, can we help out hooking up everybody's house? And, you know, can we help watching the, the neighborhood, so on and so forth? Well, that happened because of me taking eggs to people's house and building relationships and getting to know folks. That's really powerful. And when some troublemakers came that night and tried to create trouble in our neighborhood, it didn't go well for them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And that was really cool um, because everybody in the neighborhood was watching out for one another. 
building community, man. Like it's huge. If it's one thing with gardening, with security, with medical, with, you know, anything, you know, the takeaway needs to be that you can't do it alone, that you need your community, you know, starting at, you know, the family unit going to, you know, your close neighbors, building out those communities. And, you know, if you, if you build a network of those, you know, air connected communicate or those air connected communities, you know, that can flex and grow and, you know, react where they need to. I mean, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. It's a powerful force. I mean, it makes the government, it makes these, you know, big organizations obsolete. Yeah. And that's, hey, and that's, that I've is gone one through of the two goals I try already, to man, so, yeah. teaching people how to garden and pe- teaching people how to homestead and doing all this kind of stuff. I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. I am not some world renowned expert with all kinds of three letters behind my name. Um, but I've done it for a long time mm-hmm. and I figured out what works and what doesn't in my area. And the biggest thing is I understand that without community, this doesn't matter. And this is a cool way in a non-threatening environment for me to build a community. Because if I walk up to any random dude on the street, I'm like, hey, bro, you want to like kick in doors and uh, flashbang bad guys with AR-15s and, you know, prepare for, you know, the next whatever's going to happen? I'm, I'm going to get it to be on a watch list. Um, but if I go up and I'm like... You aren't already? Yeah. yeah. Come on now, we all are. Um, you know, but then, it, but instead if I go, hey, man, I'm really into gardening. You, you want to learn too. And then it's like, oh, hey, why do you do this? I'm like, well, you know, a little bit of insurance, like a little bit of food security. I like to eat good because really that's the end of the day. I'm spoiled. I like to eat good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really like starving to death. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You remember when the stores all ran out of eggs in 2021, that crazy snowstorm? Yeah, I mean, I had eggs. Oh, that's cool. Okay, well, I'm interested in doing that. You know, it's just, it's small stuff like that. You start to win influence. You start to, you start to win friends. You start to build community. And that's, that's the big thing that I'm trying to do around gardening is build a community of people that you know that are local um, that do this, that can lend resources, that can lend a hand, that can lend advice. And I think if everybody kind of takes that mindset into doing this, it changes it changes outcomes and it changes how things work too. That's really awesome. Well, Trey, honestly, what well, we're at two hours now, I could probably have you on for another three hours easy with just all the information that you know, you have everything I want to talk about, like, you know, Nomad was saying, just food preservation, you know, Six is you know, trying his hardest to carve a garden out of his backyard. Um, but, but, and, and this might be stretching a little bit, but, you know, you, you are in this, in this community, you are in this space, you're trying to raise the standard for everybody, you're trying to help out everybody, you know, rising tide raises all ships, right? So, what would be, you know, even throughout this conversation, what would be your main your main takeaway? Your main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, my main takeaway is going to be, and again, I know everybody listens to this podcast, but I, I'm a guy. I speak to guys. Um, you know, your your call as a man is to do things that are hard. Um, it's very easy to go to the store and buy stuff. It's it's very easy to just be like, you know what, chickens are kind of a pain. I'm just going to give them all away and be done. Um, it's very easy to 
uh, not want to do anything outside. Um, we we got all, all forms of entertainment. I mean, I'm sitting in front of four screens right now. I've got infinite amounts of entertainment, mm-hmm. and I think we all are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, the two big things I'm trying to do with this is a teach people some self esteem and self worth in in the sense like, hey, you can do this. And when people start getting little wins and little victories, it really starts adding up. And you create this this fuller, wholer man that years down the road, they can look back at their life and they can go, man, it started with growing a plant or raising a chicken or raising a cow. And now I'm running my own business. Now I'm running for office. Now I'm in you know, public service. Now I'm raising a family. Like all these little, all these, all these little things add up to be something big. Um, and that is incredibly Pollyanna pie in the sky of me. Um, but for as much uh, doom preparation as I do, um, the reality has been, the reality is I've always been a very um, optimistic person um, when it comes to this because the more you control yourself and the more your network, the stronger your network is, um, the more resilient you are. Um, Out of my clay. More, Sand. opportunistic it makes you which is super cool so that would be the big that would be one of the big takeaways i think the second big takeaway would be hey this isn't that hard it's just not just start um comparison is the thief of joy and a lot of people try to compare what they're doing to everybody else on the internet just get started um you can always reach out to me on instagram i'm always happy to answer questions sometimes it might take a few days especially if it's the busy season for work um, you know, some of this I do for a living. Some of this I just like to help other guys. Um, I want I want to see people do more of this, and I've I've got a slim, narrow margin of time right now where I don't have children, um, and I don't have a lot of distractions. Not saying kids aren't bad. I, I cannot wait to have kids, um, but I've got a very narrow margin where I'm not distracted. Um, and I can help other people and vice versa. I want people to take that and help other people. Um, and then just people that are in our community, they're talking to one another. Um, you know, if, if I was, if I was some, you know, old dude in overalls coming on here talking about, oh yeah, man, gardening is great. No, a 20 year old guy that loves the freaking sling lead out of his AR is just going to completely, completely (laughs) miss the point. Um, but I'm a dude that throws on a plate here. I'm a dude that loves shooting ARs. I'm a dude that loves tactics and training and, you know, pick every buzzword from CQB to SUT to, to Recce. Um, I, I know what it's all about. I know that world. I live it. I spend a ton of money training in it, and it's a lot of fun. Um, but I also understand that that is only one part of the equation. If you can't grow food, if you can't build stuff, even more important – Probably the biggest thing I way I want is if you can't build a community, you will die. <laughs> you that's just the reality. Um, you are going to be a loot drop. You are going to die. You're going to be lonely, um, and there is no hope. So build a network, build a community of other dudes that you can be around. Even if that's one person, even if you've got one person that you're hanging out and you're doing this stuff with, man, you're richer than a lot of other people around you. So awesome. That was a great last word, man. Where can people find you? So you can find me on both of my Facebook pages. Or sorry, not Facebook. Nobody uses Facebook anymore. <laughs> um, both my Instagram pages. So t- uh, tbomb08, which is my personal. So I talk about everything on there. 
Um, and then my work page, Natural State Land Consulting. Um, I keep that strictly garden, landscape, horticulture, kind of general plant knowledge. Um, so a lot of people are going to follow being like, oh, yes, I can't wait to learn how to grow potatoes. And then I'm talking about, you know, how how to prune your holly bush. Well, it, it's for work. So, That's you know, I do a little bit of everything on there, but I do keep the politics and the AR-15s off that one because that makes me money. So I do need to like not get banned on that one. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but if you want to, if you want to kind of follow the full picture, um, you can follow me on my personal one. And, and again, always feel free to DM. I'm not saying I'll always answer them. Um, some days when I do a real popular post or like at shot when I was there, or I'm in a class and meet guys, I'll get like 50 DMs and it's just like, Oh my gosh. It's a lot. Um, yeah. But if I can, man, I'm always down to either help people um, answer a question or point them to a resource in their area. No, thanks guys. I would love to be back on if y'all ever got any, any more questions and um, would love to continue the, the conversation further because I feel like y'all have a lot you could teach me because y'all are definite, definitely in a lot of different areas of life. And um, again, man, it is so cool meeting other like-minded dudes across the U.S. There are um, just after shot, after some of the classes I've done recently, um, there are a lot of us, and that is really, really encouraging, kind of pushing back the tide against um, against a lot of the rot in society. So. I totally agree. I don't even think this was half the conversation, but you know, it is so great to see someone who understands the, the necessity of community and you know, seeing the, the holistic picture. So really appreciative of what you're doing. Really appreciative of having you on. We would love to have you on again, of course. Oh, totally, man. Love to do it. All right. Guys, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. This is the Hard Time Strongman Podcast. Training of a very classy man joined by Trey at T-Bomb 08. Thanks for listening and stay in the fight. Hey guys, this is six and seven with the Hard Time Strongman podcast. Wanted to take a second to do a mental health check in and to tell you all about the 988 Crisis Lifeline. So, the 988 Lifeline is a national network of local crisis centers that provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the United States. You can reach the Lifeline at 988lifeline.org or you can call or text 988 to get help, to get someone real on the phone. Every struggle is different. Every struggle is hard. But you are not alone in whatever you're going through. As someone who has used the 988 crisis line, I fully recommend that if you're feeling any of those feelings of depression, suicide, hopelessness, Get in touch with them immediately. They will help you. They will listen to you. Once again, guys, you can reach the Lifeline at 988lifeline.org or you can call or text them at 988. As always, guys, stay in the fight. Stay in the fight.